Welcome to Dharma Conversations, where each week we explore topics to better understand ourselves, the world around us, and our place in it. We hope these conversations create wellsprings of reflection and insight in your own life and practice, and we look forward to you joining us in the conversation. Um, all right. Yeah, Dan, go ahead. When you say uncommon, mm. does that refer to, or did you say common? What was the title? Uncommon. The, the, the uncommon. uncommon. So does that refer to ultimate as opposed to relative? Or is there some other reference to uncommon? That's a good question. Mahamudra as opposed to say, oh, common yeah. Mahamudra. Well, no, that's a great question. So according to um, this text, uncommon means uh, Mahamudra in general. So it's not uh, Majamaka or something like that. It's the, it's the, it's the uh, method uh, according to uh, Mahamudra. So it's not, um, it's not other methods. It's Mahamudra. So they're referring to Mahamudra in general as uncommon. Um, mm. So, and when we talk about insight, we're always talking about revealing uh, the ultimate nature. So insight is always that, uh, I'll get to you in a second, Dan. Uh, when we're talking about uh, insight, we're always talking about revealing the, the ultimate nature of mind. Dan, what do you got? McNamara. Oh, well, I, I, um, I may have spoken too soon because, I mean, the, we talk about the common and uncommon preliminaries, right, in the tantric context, and that's where yeah. my mind jumped. But I, I wonder, is this even uncommon relative to the tantric path, uh, where it's a special path of, uh, you know, essence Mahamudra, do you think? Oh, that's a, you know, that's a good perspective. I don't know. It doesn't specifically point that out in the text if what they're referring to is, um, as that. Um, and this was a, a word um, used by Greg to um to uh, uh kind of title the class tonight so maybe we'll ask greg what he meant by uncommon but i do know that uh each so a lot of texts uh, particularly remake texts say that um the result of majamika the result of Chit, the result of mahamudra and the result of zokchen are all equal and all the same um but they all have different methods, uh, starting from the same root, of course, but they all have different methods and different terminologies, different techniques and different postures, things like that. So they are unique uh, paths, but they are all aimed at the same thing and all arrive at the same conclusion, okay? So, so that also might be a, a perspective of uncommon in that it's not the same as the others. Any other questions before we get rolling? I'll just um, add to that. Can you hear me? You got it. Keep going, Jane. Um, there is in the Ngundro Gom tree a reference to uncommon shamatha and vipassana, which what's uncommon is that maintaining awareness through stillness and movement. Yeah. And that's actually the topics tonight. So, in movement. Yep. Um, you're. Yep. Oh. And as I recall, that was said to be exclusive. It's not in the common teaching of shamatha and vipassana. Uh, it it is uh, very much in this uh, uh, ocean of definitive meaning. It's definitely there, but it, it's possibly yeah. uncommon in the in the general scheme of things. But yes, stillness and movement are what, are what we're talking about tonight. So stillness, of course, is tranquility, and movement, of course, is thought when we get down to the, the basics of that. So I have some notes in another uh, program, so I'm going to switch to that screen. And so if you guys have questions or, or if something's not clear, uh, just go ahead and, and speak up for me so that because uh, I, I won't be watching um, the screen here with, with all your faces. John? Yep. Another text that really highlights the, the two is the Moonbeams of Mahamudra. Mm, yeah. It's 
divided into two parts, the common samadhis with shamatha vipassana and the uncommon mahamudra. So it's the whole text is divided between those two. There you go. Excellent. So what I want to do is I want to start off with a few quotes um, that I have found uh, speak to similar things. And uh, then I want to uh, kind of go the outline that Wang Chuck Dorje has given, in, uh, or an outline of the text that Wang Chuck Dorje has given, um, kind of in order to kind of give us a glimpse into these, these practices that we're going to talk about. So my, my first quote is from the third Karmapa, Reng Jung Dorje, and his aspiration prayer of Mahamudra. It's uh, stanza number 18. It's toward the end of the, this pithy but short text. And it says, looking at objects, there are no objects. They are seen to be mind. Looking at mind, there is no mind. It is empty of essence. Looking at both, clinging to duality, is self-liberated. May we realize the mind's abiding nature luminous clarity. Um, our good friend uh, Lung Chen Rabjam also has a called Chuying Zi that uh, has a, some great quotes about it as well, similar. So there, there's no into outer and inner and no disturbance due to thorizing and subsiding. The foundation, awakened mind, dispels the darkness of extremes with nothing having to be renounced, the potential for error is cut through as a matter of course. And earlier in the text, he says, all aspects of the dynamic energy of that awareness manifesting as thoughts that proliferate and subside serve as ministers exercising control over the domain. So this is in the, the chapter where he compares um, awakened mind to uh, a pure land. So, Nosho Kempo has a great uh, quote in, uh, in his book, um, Great Natural Perfection. And this is from a particular text called A Letter in Praise of Emptiness. It says, look outward at appearing objects, and like the water in a mirage, they are more delusive than dilute. Unreal like dreams and illusions, they resemble reflected moon and rainbows. Look inward at your own mind. It seems to be quite exciting when not examined, but when examined, there's nothing to it. Appearing without being, it is nothing but empty. It cannot be identified saying that is it, but is evanescent. Look at whatever may appear in any of the 10 directions, no matter how it may appear. The thing itself, its very nature, is the sky-like nature of mind beyond the projection and dissolution of thought and concept. And then finally, um, there's a great Rimei text out called A Gathering of Brilliant Moons, Practice Advice from the Rimei Masters of Tibet. It's, it's a great collection of texts, particularly by Jamgong Kongtrul and uh, Patra Rinpoche. Um, and in one of the, the texts by Jamgong Kongtrul, it's called Instructions on the View Without Reference. He says, Whatever arises in the six spheres of consciousness remains as the naked awareness without falling into either direction of rest or movement. All thoughts, coarse and subtle, arise and disappear suddenly, like melting ice into water or fog vanishing in the sky. They do not go beyond the play of reality or move from it. All right, so all those quotes um, can be kind of confusing, but really what they're referring to is appearance and their nature, uh, the mind that is producing them being in union of empty luminosity. This, that's really the point. So we have any questions before we dig into the, the text here? Or any comments or anything? Can, can you reread the, uh, the part from the Nyosho Ken at the beginning about uh, appearances being more delusory than delusion? I love that. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a pretty good one. Yeah. So it's, it's faker than fake, right? So he says, uh, look outward at the appearing objects and like the water in a mirage, they are more delusive than delusion. Unreal like dreams and illusions, they resemble reflected moon and rainbows. So of course that's the um, metaphor that we've used many, many times, the, the moon reflecting in the, the pool 
and of course the rainbow appearing yet not solid. Don, who was that? Nosho Kempo. I might uh, have a picture of him here yeah, in his Nosho. book. Yeah, maybe we can find a picture of him and you might recognize him. He's, I know that he taught Lama Surya Das um, and many, many others in the, so this is Kempo in there. Looking at a bird in his hand there. He wrote a book you might be familiar with. It's a biography of all of the uh, Lama oh, yeah. masters. Yeah, he's got a, a great, a great uh, text, and it's, it's very exhaustive. It's it's very big. Uh, a mirror, uh, what is it called, Dan? But it is, it's biographies of the uh, uh, Lung Chen Ning Tick, right? I forget the name of it. Anyway, it's beautiful and it's blue. Matt, when you find it, show us. <laughs> Matt will dig it up. All right. So as we're moving forward, I'm going to read a little bit of uh, Kenshin Thrangu's um, commentary that kind of sets the state. There it is. Marvelous garland of rare gems. It had nothing to do with a mirror, but there's a mirror on the cover. Um, <laughs> so um, I'm going to read a, a little bit of uh, Kenshin Thrangu's um, commentary that kind of sets the stage through, again, an outline, uh, not, not the deep detailed instructions, but kind of an outline of each of the sections that Wang Chuk Dorje has written in his root text, okay? All right, so this is, uh, this is from uh, this, this text here, the smaller kind of um, very pithy um, commentary on uh, Ocean of Definitive Meaning. So on page 64, Kenyon says, in the practice of insight, you look at both, you look your mind in both states, within stillness and within movement, or the occurrence of thought. First, you practice by looking at the mind within stillness. There are three stages to this. The first stage is to look at the mind within stillness or in the context of stillness. The second is to scrutinize what you find or what you discover in that state. And the third is to identify or to have pointed out to you what in fact is there. So what he's alluding to here is looking at the mind stark for what it is, uh, examining, and then finally recognizing. Okay. Sounds a little bit uh, familiar to me from uh, maybe another text. All right. So here's the outline um, given in this larger um, translation of the, of the full text, Ocean of Definitive Meaning. I don't know if this is still available. Um, it was published by Nitartha, and I know that it, it, uh, it's restricted. Um, it's a restricted text, and I know that it goes along with... Um, a rec recorded uh, teaching. Yeah, translated according to the teachings of uh, Trulsum Jamso um, and Zogchen So I think the Zogchen Ponlop Rinpoche gave a, a teaching, and so this is in coordination with that. So you might be able to find it on his website. So here we go. Uh, looking at the abiding nature, the essence of mind. Begin this session with a brief reflection on the preliminary practice and some shamatha sitting. Look at the abiding nature of mind by relaxing at ease and letting the mind settle into itself. The essence of that resting is clear, vivid, naked, and fresh. Analyze mind's nature, whether it has any color, form, shape, and so forth, by looking repeatedly at the mind. Further, briefly examine the mind's arising, abiding, and departing. If nothing is found through searching the abiding mind, allow the thoughts to manifest and then analyze them. All right, so do we have any questions about that first kind of preliminary, that first section? It, it's pretty similar to what we've heard before, I think. I, I wonder about the word analyze there, because uh, I mean that that's in line with the you know common instruction Rinpoche gives us, which is don't the way he phrases it, don't follow thoughts, you know, look at the nature of thoughts. And I think analysis here means more like that than like 
you know, let me just get wrapped up in the concept of concept and so forth. Yep. Uh, so we're not indulging. Analyze doesn't mean to indulge in that thought. So if, if you have a, a thought of anger or a, a thought of desire or a thought of, of, uh, of dullness or ignorance, you don't, you don't chase it, you don't proliferate it or indulge in it, but you look at it directly. And I think that's, I think you're right, Dan. I think that's what analyzing means is look at it for what it is. And is it different than the stillness aspect of it? So there's a, um, this is a, a, a great little book that just came out. Uh, it's a translation of Sechen Galshop, Gal, Galshop's, help me out, Dan, uh, text. Sechen uh, Galshop. Yeah, so he's the root teacher of Dilvokinsi Rinpoche. And he's got a great, and he's got a great little uh, direction in here that says, when the previous thought has ended, the latter one has not arisen, and you are concerned with the, the one occurring in the present, there comes a bare self-cognizance awareness, a spacious state in which luminosity and emptiness are united. So what he's talking about there is this little, little bit of a gap because you'll, you'll have that gap that's pointed out in um, the uh, three words that strike to the vital point by Patro Rinpoche with the, the symbol or the this little pet so that's pointed out there and that forms the basis of our meditation where we can kind of elaborate on that stillness so to speak the thoughts will arise once that stillness is recognized and thoughts will arise and so what he's asking you here is when thoughts arise is it different from that stillness that's that's induced so this is this is what we're talking about here yeah you know, Go ahead, Dan. It's just occurred to me. I'm kind of thinking on my feet here, but um, I mean, um, <clears throat> you and me both. So, like, uh, um, the breakdown of meditation, you know, versus post meditation, um, is, is is super important across the board, right? You're just we're not doing the same thing in meditation, like on the cushion, than than we are outside. But um, this is kind of, you know, the goal is to bring what you do on the cushion, you know, bring that on the path, of course, but and, and ultimately unite them. That's, that's a pretty common methodology for becoming a Buddha uh, in <laughs> across the board in, in, a, in all the schools. It's a very remade thing. It's what Tsongkhapa says, and you know, everybody. Um, what one, you know, one way to understand the stillness and movement is to kind of get that as an like a sub iteration of meditation post meditation so it's like well you're you're in clarity it's not that when a thought comes something bad happened but it is almost like a disjunct it's like a meditation post meditation yeah you know a lot that's that's a really good point because a lot of uh teachers who who teach zogchen particularly um oh my gosh his name is slipping he 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 has a zogchen community what's his name yeah, Namkai Norbu. Yeah, that's it. Namkai Norbu Rinpoche. So, he he uh, the way he points it out is either you're recognizing the nature of mind and abiding there, or you're not. And so that's non-meditation to him. Is not recognizing is non-meditation to him. And so, and correct me if I'm wrong, but what you're saying here is to recognize that nature within the thoughts as they're moving and the appearances are arising. Yeah, uh, yeah and, and so that's sort of, um, you know, we've been talking about the union of, uh, of Shamatha and Vipassana, and I mean, all, all Buddhist schools have something that, that points to the union, you know, the union of Shamatha and Vipassana. Really, Vipassana is <clears throat> what makes Buddhism Buddhist. It's yep. that extra addition of insight compared to the non-Buddhist schools of the Buddhist time. Um, it's just a question of kind of how, how we get there. Um, Sorry, I was going somewhere, but I'll, I'll stop there because I, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> nope, it's all good. And, and Dan's absolutely right here. So that when we, when we teach meditation to beginners, we teach the common shamatha and then we teach the uncommon vipassana. And uh, we call that uncommon because it is only part of the Buddhist school. This is, this is exactly right. This insight into the nature of the mind and thus the nature of thoughts and the nature of appearance is distinctly Buddhist, and so this is this is important to understand uh, when we're talking uh, about the two types of meditation, so to speak, shamatha and insight. And and when we unite those, 
then we we have uh, the abiding in Buddha Buddhahood Buddha nature. All right, so I'm going I'm going to uh, continue with the second. So the first was looking at the abiding nature of mind essence, and then so the second is cutting through a basis or root of mind. And so they, he, so the outline continues. If you do not find anything when analyzing or searching, look and examine the searcher, the arising, abiding, and departing of that mind that is searching. Further, look at the nature of conceptual movement, the mind manifesting as movement, and see if the resting nature and the manifesting mind are the same or different. Search again and again. So here we're taking it a step further, and it, we're kind of elaborating on that um, analyzing uh, aspect. So what we're looking at is whether or not the nature of those thoughts is the same as that calm mind, that gap between thoughts. Is it the same? And Rinpoche gave me some advice years and years ago um, that he said, when you're driving, look at your mind. See if that, what I pointed out to you, is still there. When you're singing along with the song on the radio and having a good time, stop and look at your mind. Is what I've pointed out still there? Is, is, it, is it there when you're happy? Is it there when you're sad? Is it there when you're not thinking about it? Stop and check. And so this is something that I've tried to do over the years is just kind of whatever I'm doing, I don't make a big deal out of it and stop in the middle of whatever. Ah, instead of this guy. But I'll just take a minute and to myself, I'll, I'll ask myself, is it still there? And I'll check again and again. And so this is something that I think builds that habit of uniting meditation and non-meditation. Okay. Now, if if we haven't had pointing out instruction, or if there's a difficulty there, we can rely on the eight similes of of illusion that Lung Chempa writes so <laughs> brilliantly about in uh, resting the mind in illusion. So he t he talks about these in the cushion how we're uh, to see the uh, the everyday appearances, let's call them, off the cushion in post meditation as a mirage or a, a magician's a trick or uh, a city in the clouds, etc. Uh, so this is something that uh, we can also rely on if we haven't had that pointing out or if we haven't haven't uh, gained confidence in that, you know. So we have any questions or comments about that second one. And I'll read it again to kind of refresh. So cutting through a basis or root of mind. If you do not find anything when analyzing or searching, Look at the exam look and examine the searcher, the arising, abiding, and departing of that mind that is searching. So that's the that's the second one. Questions or comments? Uh, only that uh, I mean that's that's where uh, yoga chara just just you know comes blatantly and blaringly <laughs> in. Is, um, it, it's never the case that we're just talking about external objects, right? And it's not the case that we're really focused on how external objects aren't out there like the the important it's not even a next step it's a a, a simultaneous step yeah. is that the in here is you know co you know co-arising with the out there right and so i mean that that came through and i think the first quotation you gave where uh maybe it wasn't i mean because of the translation maybe it didn't quite quite get there but it's kind of um you know, you you want to you want to check and be suspicious of the in here every bit as much as as, as the illusory nature of the out there. And I, Carlo, I, I sorry for getting in your way. Sorry, um, I was just going to ask: is that the aspect that Rinpoche was talking with uh, Runrig, the reflexive awareness? Mm -hmm. Is it the same as that? Yes, I think that is what we're moving towards in a very subtle way but i don't think it's the same thing that's pointed out here i think what we're i think what we're pointing out here is um and bear with me while i search for a um dan you can help me but i think it's it's talked about in mahamudra as the ordinary mind 
Yeah, yeah, that that's that's definitely true. Um, I mean, I, and I don't want to I don't want to derail your your structure, John. But uh, you know, we should bear in mind the, the the main kind of structuring system of the Mahamudra is the four stages of yoga, right? One pointed simplicity or freedom of elaboration, one taste, and then uh, either no more learning or non meditation. Um, and uh, that follows a fourfold yoga where Rangrik, the reason I'm bringing this up is that the Rangrik has a specific space in Yogacara. So let me just be blaringly clear. I'm talking about Yogacara, not Mahamudra. In Yogacara, uh, you know, the four stages of yoga in, in the Lankavatara Sutra, okay, I'm suspicious of out here. Out here is looking a certain way, like external to me and stable. And it's not that way. Well, what about the in here? Is the in here actually the way it feels? Like it's like behind my eyes physically, that doesn't make any sense either. Then one way to understand Rangrik, it's a super complicated topic, but um, one way to understand Rangrik is sort of where we have a sense that they're both suspicious, but we're still grasping to the idea of awareness as a kind of fact, and we have to get over that. Uh, there's a lot of similarities with Mahamudra, but they're not exactly the same, so hopefully that's helpful. Yeah, I think that is helpful, because when we're talking about uh, analyzing hopefully toward a um, the uh, the evenness of a of non-duality you know is, is hopefully where we're going here it's key to to actual actually realize that both the mind and its production are equally empty and equally uh, equally luminous you know what i mean it's it's not um this or that they're actually they're and this may be a bold statement but they're both they're actually both confusion the mind um, the mind it's the fact that we have a mind itself is samsara jen you jump in there yeah uh thank you um maybe on the practical level i can just simply share my experience um i think um uh this part is still getting um us to the point of being able to uh recognize our nature of mind or ordinary mind as um john and um uh, dan suggested earlier and the important part of it um of moving in stillness is to recognize that movement happens within stillness and um stillness penetrates movement so essentially these are very um, initial steps. Maybe I can share my experience with that. So when I was practicing that, um, you look at the thought, actually it was much easier for me to, the instructions are to start with the thought, go to emotion and then um, go to perceptions. But in reality for me, it was much easier to start working with emotions. So I was working with an emotion. I was uh, looking at emotion and investigating it. And then that's the first part. And then when you switch to um, attention at the looker, you kind of start um, noticing how start getting the, the habit of trying to get between them. And then what happens, it goes like, they connect. It just like this. And you just understand that you are emoting it is you emotion is you so essentially um it's one of the it's kind of a pointing out instruction in a way but when the llama is not right there it's essentially you are they gave they're giving you instructions and then you go and then it just reveals itself kind of that connection between the two so um very sudden very uh kind of um how to say that um, obvious that and, and it's very experiential that okay emotion I've been suffering but then it's me um, so, and, and then once you recognize that then it, it becomes easier for you to start to start recognizing and working with moving in stillness because uh, you have already gotten experience of the nature of your thoughts and emotions you understand their empty nature you also understand that um, that connection with the looker. So then, then the entire ability to notice movement and stillness and kind of the difference or the lack of difference between them becomes um, much easier, becomes more um, available. 
Jump in there, Dan. Yeah, thanks, Jenny. That's that's awesome. Um, that that reminded me. I'm curious what you think about this. The uh, you know, there's a, a story from the Pali Canon that the Buddha saw uh, an old man who was about to die, but also very close to enlightenment. And the instruction he gave this old man is, um, there is no thinker, there is only thinking. There is no seer, there is only seeing. And so what, what I would sort of, you know, respond to you with is there is no you that is the emotion. There is actually just the emotion. I wonder what you think about that. Yeah, but you need to recognize it because, because of our um, inherent dualism. Um, it's hard to even kind of penetrate and get that the, the first glimpse. Once you got the first glimpse, it's much easier to start working with it. Kind of, it's um, maybe uh, I don't know. Maybe a cool analogy would be for you to be able to swim for the first time. Once you got it, you're not good at it yet, but you you have you have some skills to rely on to um, to continue. So you have something to go come back to. You know, Jenya, I think you make a really good point there because when I, when I start to teach um, insight, uh, people identify themselves, the, the, and this is with a capital S, the self with different aspects of what they experienced. Some people are really tied into their words. I say this and I mean this. People are really tied into their emotions. People are really tied into their actions, what are their, you know, the sport or whatever they do, you know, their body activity. And so I, I ask them to kind of look at how they identify themselves. And I think what you're saying is we kind of have to start from a place of maybe there is a self that is there, and then we have to identify what we're calling that self, and then we can and then we can kind of let that self dissolve once we once we get an, uh, a glimpse of what it is because many of us uh, almost like the two truths within the meditation itself the 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 meditator and the the object being meditated here you know is a little uh, even though there is a singular experience of empty luminosity we often work with that um, uh, appearing a duality to kind of ease us ease us into that singularity that singularity of experience so i think i think from a certain ex, uh, point of view that that's very very valuable um and and like i said i ask people to i ask students to kind of what do you call yourself uh you've heard the i think therefore i am a lot of people don't get that deep a lot of people say, oh, my paintings, I'm an artist. My paintings are who I am. This is my heart poured out on the canvas. Or they're a poet. Or they uh, ride their bicycle. And they, oh, I'm, I'm, you know, whatever it is. We have to start attacking, so to speak, whatever we're calling ourselves. you know? Because not everybody looks at it the same way. Not everybody identifies. Uh, not everybody has a... Uh, uh, Abhidharma Kosha in front of them to say, oh, yeah, 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 this is, this is us. Yeah, 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 all this. But, but really, we have, to, we have to come from our own experience. And I, I think that's what you're, you're saying here is that somehow you've got to connect what I'm experiencing with this idea of self and look directly at that. Look at that idea of self. Yeah, Dan, jump in there. No, I, I, John, I, I, was just, I just want to be clear. I wasn't talking about the idea of self. It's, uh, it's more of a looker just the, oh. the, the the looker that's, the meditative watcher so to speak right the, exactly kind of the uh more of a just looker do not even um get into the emptiness and analysis of self it's just the very direct experience of looking and that's how mahamudra gets helps us get to that um uh, uncontrived meditation because otherwise we can't handle it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That speaks directly to that second quote that John John made about uh, you know if if I forget exactly what it was but sort of you know be suspicious of the in here you know uh, I was going to add I don't want to spend too much time if you don't want to spend time on this John but uh, you know Kedrup J I, I I rarely have anything good to say about him but uh, one thing I love about him is uh, you know when you, when you do selflessness meditation think about the time when you were most embarrassed in your entire life like do some kind of emotional work where you really like get back to that like eek you know and that's 
perhaps it says something about him that that's how he how he does it but uh you know that's yeah i i think that's a nice way to kind of tie all of this together yeah yeah looking at looking at at stillness is relatively um simple because we can induce that but it doesn't last that long particularly if you're using um syllables or postures or something to induce that stillness um so it's important to kind of not necessarily lengthen that but let that stillness penetrate does that does that make sense penetration of the stillness kind of thing i would i would say it slightly differently um so uh stillness is something that we have all the time that's the nature of mind that's the vastness of nature of mind that's the one that is constantly here all the time this vast stillness that it is not moving not unchanging that's the unchanging stillness so and that's um if you're talking about the gap that's sort of a what we see during that gap um and it, it we're not it it's not stillness we can hold it's us essentially that's uh how nature of mind manifests once we start um uh, separating a subject and object and the duality starts that's when um we start uh, paying attention to the mind, uh, uh, mental appearances, and that's when the movement starts. But if we just are able to pay attention to what is there all the time, unchanging and vast and present, that's the stillness we're talking about. And at, at the same time, so basically we, we try to recognize that stillness and, and, and we really need uh, uh, instructions. Lamalina give, uh, gives excellent instructions to that. Um, so we need to uh, go between, in the same session, go between first maybe 20 minutes looking at the mind and movement and what's happening and pay attention to the birds singing and uh, the thoughts coming up, what's constantly coming up in the mind. And then you kind of shift attention because you have given been given instruction, okay, stillness, what doesn't change? And at first you kind of, what the heck, what are you talking about? It is here, it's that, it's there, it's right there. So basically, and then once you start going between movement and stillness, you start understanding that this is like motion of that water. It's just, it's the same water, but you kind of go with it. Uh, so it manifests different ways. Um, obviously, it's a, a first, uh, and talking about on the cushion and off the cushion, um, it's easier to do when you are just beginning, it's easier to do in a given session, remember the instructions and do it on the cushion and off the cushion. But once you get that more experience of going in and out, then you start being able to just recognize. And, and at, at that point, it becomes very similar to what Rinpoche is saying that, and John was saying, I think earlier, just look if your mind is still there. When you're singing, when you are, like, is it still there? It is always there. So that, that stillness is that the always there thing we are recognizing. It's not something that doesn't stay. We're not stabilizing it. It's there and stable. I think stillness and movement uh, are two states of the same nature. So I don't think stillness is the nature itself. I think within that stillness, it's uh, we're able to recognize aspects of that nature and let it abide, and our meditation become more and more subtle. But uh, the teachings say that uh, there is emptiness and appearance, that there is uh, kadak and lundrup uh, as, as our nature of mind. So they, they never say it's only kadak. They say it's both. And so this is important to recognize uh, so that when we recognize the stillness within movement, what we're really recognizing is non-conceptuality within movement. 
And this is, this is what we want to do with our meditation is we have uh, to take, uh, we're, we're, we're switching to Dzogchen now a little bit. So in order to um, recognize that gap between thoughts, sometimes uh, I, I teach the three words, but other times I will stop what I'm saying and let that gap appear naturally by itself. And then just do that directly. So there's that, that moment where mind is active, the mind is bright, the mind is luminous, but it's also open and waiting. And so that's a way that we can point out that gap. And that forms the basis of our meditation. But that is not, that is not the nature of mind itself. Uh, Padre Rinpoche says it's Dharmakaya, but my teacher says it's, it's maybe not. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'll have to wait and see. <laughs> um, I, think the, I think the moon and water is really helpful here because, um, yeah, it, uh, it, it's, it's not that the, uh, you know, the, the darkness of the water is, is more real than a bright spot that is the moon there. It's just that sometimes, sometimes the, the vastness of this universe space manifests as what looks and feels physical, right? So similarly, sometimes the lake, the darkness of the lake manifests with this bright spot not because something's added to it, it just looks that way. And, and you know, that, that's, that's all we need to say about it for, for now. But that kind of, that doesn't mean that, the, you know, the nature of mind the light is, is white or, or round. It just means that that's how we can kind of, you know, engage with it, uh, you know, while we're still beginners. Yeah, that's, that's key to understand here. And this is what, what uh, both Mahamudra is pointing out here and also Dzogchen Simde. They point out the movement of the mind, the appearances of mind as uh, symptoms or traces or evidence of the nature of the nature of mind itself i th these are these are imperfect words but um they say uh but cell uh, potency of awareness uh gen um ornament of awareness so at any rate, let's get back to uh, the outline here. We've got 10 minutes left and like seven things to go. So <laughs> typical John class. All right. So, oh, you got some. Carl, go ahead. Just on that term, um, I could understand an aspect of what Jenya was saying from the sense that um, the still part might, of the, the still quality can relate to the fruitional aspect that, that's exactly what I yep. And then it, there's yep. a fluctuation where we drop into the, a causal view of conception because yep. conception's creating all these divisions and categories and, and yet still recognizing that it's that, but coming from that place of it being knowing there's fruitional, it in essence, and in a sense, I can see how the two relate and I, yeah. I think that's what genuine was getting at yeah yeah i think you're right um and and like i said it, it does that that stillness forms the basis of our meditation the place from from which we start yep absolutely and and it does point to the nature of mind yep i agree okay all right so third Pointing out the nature of uh, the nature of mind by means of determining awareness emptiness. Ooh, this sounds good. So it is important and helpful to do the preliminary practices at the beginning of all pointing out sessions. In this section, the ninth uh, karmapa discusses how the experiences and realizations arise for three different types of individuals: instantaneous, bypassing, and gradual types. At this point, instruction is let the mind relax in its own state look nakedly straight at the essence of the relaxed mind, maintain continuous mindfulness, simply free from distraction. Whatever thoughts arise, do not do anything contrived, such as deliberately abandoning or uh, adopting them. Look at their very essence. That sounds familiar to me. Wong Chempa gives the same instruction. So this pointing out by means of determining awareness emptiness has different aspects. So pointing out the nature of mind on the basis of conceptual movement. First, instructed to let the mind relax in its own state. That's what we're talking about in the first, first portion there. 
within that state, look directly at the mind's very nature, then cause conceptual movement to manifest. And, and this is what Jenny was talking about before when the emotion comes up. So then cause conceptual movement to manifest and look at what the difference is between moving mind and resting mind. Look and see what the difference is between moving mind and the mind that looks at it. And when you do this, conceptual movement is self-liberated. Rest one-pointedly in that state without distractions. So that's the first aspect of that. So we sit, non-conceptual, and then we intentionally cause an emotional state, a conceptual movement to arise, and we analyze that, and then we analyze the mind that's meditating on that. Questions or comments about that? There's actually only one point left, but it has uh, four points, so. I have a question. Um, that part about intentionally causing, yeah. like I feel like it arises on its own. I don't know <laughs> if I have to really intentionally yeah. cause for the movement. Yeah. Maybe if that's the case, then maybe uh, some more shamatha practice is needed. But yes, absolutely, it does. It does very often. But I think it. I, I think if it distracts me, yep. if I get kind of caught, then I agree with you. But I'm not necessarily saying that, though. I'm oh. just anyway. Yeah, it does arise, and then that's what we look at directly. What whatever occurs, stillness or movement, whatever emotion arises, don't grasp at it. Don't make it something. Don't try to conceptualize it away. Don't say that it's empty. Whatever. Right. Just let it arise and be what it is. Yeah. Exactly. Because so that. Yes, of course, yeah. Because in that sense, that movement or that appearance is, like we said, it's part of the mind too, right? So I'm not Absolutely. like struggling with that. Absolutely. I guess in my mind, the way I think of it is almost like stillness is kind of like that emptiness part. And then the movement is the appearance part. So they are both constantly going on. Don't, don't give away the secrets, but... <laughs> okay, sorry. <laughs> I think maybe we're on to something there. All right, cool, thank you. But this is, but yeah. But yeah, that's, that's what we're talking about here. So we're letting those things arise and not grasping at them and then looking intentionally, much like Dan was saying uh, about the, the teacher that, that brought up that particularly cringeworthy moment, um, you know, and, and looked at it directly. So Carlo, you got something there? Yeah, just on that, like sometimes I found the mind might be occupied with some uh, aspect of a, another person who is uh, annoying and but then like what what Dan was saying first it was just recognizing that not buying into it and then reintroducing it deliberately again so was there organically coming up by itself but then there seems to be that intention to reintroduce it or go back to it so to to look at it again from a from a, um, uh, a that higher perspective, almost a dispassionate perspective. Yeah, and in a sense to purify it, I guess. Mm. Can I try describing it just briefly um, as watching rather than looking, like because it's actually moving. Um, so you're. You're, you know, when we look at something and scrutinize it, that suggests the thing is still and static and has static properties. But when you're looking here, this thing is moving. It's it's changing shape. It's evolving. It's uh, it starts you know one way and then suddenly it's different. Um. So. I would use the word watching rather than looking. Okay. Yeah, I think, I think that works. Um, and it's almost, it's almost turtles all the way down because you can watch what you're watching, what you're watching, what you're watching, what you're, you're watching. But I mean, we can, we can very much get into that. Uh, but but this, this unity in our uh, meditation uh, and kind of keep control of our med meditation with, with some vigilance, you know what I mean? Don't let it, don't let it turn into this, uh, ongoing uh chatter uh under mutter uh, dan you you got something there i just I, you know i for maybe it's just my i'm on a kick here but uh i think highlighting the importance of uh is is really is really important here because it's kind of you know we, we can look back at oh i was embarrassed or look back at what just happened a minute ago 
And what's happening is that the present, you know, there's these kind of, conventionally speaking, at least, there's these impermanent kind of blips of existence happening. And so like, um, it's not like you can freeze time and kind of, you know, stop and then like look around and say, okay, well, that's what happens. Then I go back and then I'm just in the next moment, right? It's, uh, um, I, I, sorry, I don't mean to ramble, but I, I, you know, I was curious about sort of intention, you know, the space in which we're intentionally allowing things to come up that, um, you know, not to use a loaded word, but it's like we're creating a safe space, like within a meditation session, we're like, okay, well, I'm already calm, I'm already stable, now I can do this work, which is different than just being in the world and emotions naturally arising. Yeah. Well, I think that's what Carlo is getting at as well, is that you're, that you're somehow intentionally coming back to kind of re-examine. So, okay, this thing has happened, or, or I've experienced this particular emotion, and we can go back and say, what really happened? You know, because honestly, our memories are so faulty and, and colored by our, by our uh, script rewrites, uh, to use your metaphor of the movies. Uh, we, we rarely remember it the way it happened, you know, rarely. Um, so, so what we remember, I think, is the, uh, the viscerality of that emotion, that embarrassment or that anger or that desire, whatever it is. I think that's, that's the part that is the common thread between what actually happened and what we're remembering. And, and perhaps that's what we should examine here is the viscerality of it, that, uh, experience of the of the moment uh, as opposed to um going through what he said she said you know it, it's maybe more of a examine the experience all right so i'm gonna i'm gonna hammer through this we've got one minute and all right next is uh pointing out appearances to be mined Oh, excuse me, pointing out the nature of mind on the basis of appearances. So this section has uh, four parts. So um, all appearances to be mind, mind to be empty, emptiness to be spontaneously present, and spontaneously present to be self-liberated. So pointing out the nature of mind based on appearances has four parts, the first of which is pointing out appearances to be mind. So all appearances are nothing other than mental appearances, like illusions and dreams. Examine whether forms, sounds, and so forth, which are taken as focal objects, and the mind are the same or different. When you recognize that the body and mind are neither the same nor different, or that all objects that appear as something external do not exist apart from the being of the self-radiance of mind, rest openly without fixation in that state. So we've covered this quite a bit uh, tonight. We've actually talked about this um, tangentially as we as we've talked about the different topics. So this is, this is a key here. The next one is pointing out the mind to be empty. So the main category is pointing out the nature of mind on the basis of appearance. And here we are pointing out the mind to be empty. So first, it's mind. And this is what uh, Reng Jung Dorje said. Uh, look at your mind or look at appearances, see them to be mind, and look at mind and see it to be empty. So here we're pointing out the mind to be empty. Mind itself is empty free of arising, abiding, and cessation, like the moon reflected on the water. It does not exist as anything. It's empty. Its emptiness nature cannot be shown at all. It is beyond expressions of speech or thought and resembles space. You are instructed to rest at ease with this uncontrived or unaltered state. So do we have any questions about pointing out appearances to be mind and then pointing the mind to be empty? Comments or questions about that? Discussion points? I've always thought that uh, if the mind was empty, how could it produce things? And then I realized that, well, it produces things because it's empty. <laughs> because... I, I want to remind us that, uh, that um, you know, the, you know Ranjan Dorje and, and um, uh, the Ninth Karmapa as well, are they're speaking in, in the context really of retreat. So, I mean, mm -hmm, absolutely. we go through because we have to, but like every one of these points is like, you, you just got to dig and dig and dig and, yeah. you know, uh, and a lot to each of them. We shouldn't think this is like, okay, I can do this in two minutes. We, we really can. Yeah. Well, and that's something that, you know, we should, we could actually spend an entire class on each of these sections because um, in the, in the, in the full translation, it goes through each of these in depth. 
and says, oh, well, if you find this, then do that. If you do that, then do this. And it's, it's very much a, uh, uh, a process. So this is not just a simple one and, one and done. You're, you're right, man. All right. So still within the context of pointing out the nature of mind on the basis of appearances, we're now moving to the third point. Is somebody, does somebody have a question? I hear something. I want to make sure everybody's. Yeah, it's, Buddhist. it's about how to control the mind. It's really interesting. It's not religious, David. It's just learning to control yourself. What was that a question or a comment? I think she might have been talking to her son, possibly. Oh. Oh, okay. Okay. Aren't we all? Once the once the son is in the lap of the mother, we've we've made it. Uh, all right. So, uh, pointing out the nature of mind on the basis of appearance. The third point is pointing out the emptiness. Pointing out emptiness to be spontaneously present. So, without moving from dharmata, which is always empty like space, mind arises unceasingly as expressive power and radiance manifesting as the variety of appearances. It is taught that whatever appearances may arise, they are none other than emptiness itself. Therefore, they are spontaneously present, inseparability of appearance and emptiness, or bliss and emptiness. Again, we've, we've talked about this quite a bit tonight, tangentially, with the, the different discussions that we've had. And then finally, within the context of pointing out the nature of mind on the basis of appearances, we have the, the fourth and final um, pointing out, and it's pointing out spontaneous presence to be self-liberated. Spontaneously present nature, self-liberated because appearances are spontaneously present as great emptiness. From the very beginning, appearances, awareness, and emptiness are spontaneously present as the union of luminosity and emptiness. As this does not rely on Remedies, samsara, and nirvana are beyond being something to reject and adopt, negate, or establish. It is the ultimate self-liberation of Mahamudra, and it is also the actualization of primordial awakening. All right, we're enlightened. That's it. So, pointing out the nature of mind on the basis of appearances has pointing out appearances to be mind. Mind is empty, emptiness is spontaneously present, and spontaneously present is self-liberated. So these are, these are the four points of that last pointing out. And we've talked about this a lot in many, many of the classes that we've had here on Sunday night, but it's important to go through these steps and at least understand these steps conceptually, uh, if not do an in-depth retreat on this last one in particular to actualize this union of appearance and emptiness, this Kadak and Lundra from the Dzogchen perspective. It's, uh, it's what they talk about in um, uh, the Mahasiddhas, the Mahasiddhas of bringing everything onto the path. Appearance is emptiness. This is, this is part of, it's separate. Our practice is not broken up into this and that. Our, our, our practice is not broken up into now I'm calm, now I'm emotional. Our practice is unified and singular in, in this uh, empty luminosity, this primordially pure, uh, excuse me, primordially pure appearance. And that's, that's the, the main point of that last section of pointing out the nature of mind based on appearances. Questions or comments? Is that all? That's it. Well, just that. Okay. So it's not, uh, yeah, they, they say this, and I don't know if they say this in texts to be clever. It's, it's simple but it's not easy. They say that a lot. And it is, it's a very simple thing. I, I often compare it to looking at the skin of your eyeball. I'm looking at the skin of my eyeball right now. 
I can't see the damn thing, but it's there. I'm looking right through it. So it's something that arises uh, spontaneously and unceasingly. That's, that's also important to know. That it's there within stillness. It's there within movement. The okay. Buddhahood, uh, enlightenment, this, this actualization of the union of appearance and emptiness is there all the time. And it's not something that we have to discover. It's not something that we have to add. You could argue that it's something that we have to uncover, but really um, uh, um, there's a translation of creation and completion and Jamgon Kongtrol refers to it as a thing that we have to get used to. And I think that that word meditate actually means getting used to. There you go. Yeah, there you go. So it's something that we have to get used to. We have to get used to this union of spontaneously present, unceasing, empty luminosity. Let's dedicate the merit and practice hard, right? Thanks, everybody. I hope it was useful, helpful. And if not, ignore it. <laughs> if it was good, use a little bit here and there. But Thanks, John. Uh, that was great. Uh, that was no, awesome. You're, you're very welcome. Um, so, um, Thank you, John. I'm not sure what we have planned for next week, but I'm sure Greg will, will send us all an email and, and something good will happen. So we'll see you then.